Quote, I used to struggle as a game master. I'd ask myself, why does it take so long to come up with a new adventure week after week? And why is it that most role-playing rulebooks, despite being hundreds of pages long, never thoroughly address how to actually prepare for and run a game? If you say Shay Webster, and this is Roleplay Rescue. Greetings, rescuers! Welcome to another episode of Roleplay Rescue, the podcast about getting lapsed roleplayers back to the tabletop. I want to begin with an apology. Whether it's true to your perception or not, my perception has been that I've been drifting somewhat in my podcasting the past month or two. I think the shift out of lockdown here in the UK and returning to school full-time as a teacher has, frankly, taken its toll. I don't think I have been coping very well and, honestly, exhaustion has taken its pound of flesh as well. I've said so before and, as you will hear in the call-ins later, I am not alone in this feeling, but it's not a good reason to drift. So sorry to you guys for the slowdown and glide away from my core reason to podcast, getting folk back to the table. Today, I'm going to attempt to take a firmer hand with my show and talk about something that, honestly, I've been fearful to talk about simply because I've heard plenty of people criticise myself and others for doing so. I want to share some thoughts about Game Mastering, the book by Brian Jameson from which the opening quotation was taken. Why am I going there then? Well, simply, I'm going to share the nitty-gritty of thoughts about how I'm getting myself back to the table. Listeners of the Dungeon Master's Diary episodes will be aware of some of this, as will anyone who's listened to episode 711, not letting work kill my hobby, but there are some deeper thoughts that I was going to simply share with patrons privately, but which, on reflection, feel like they might be useful to a wider audience. So, here we go. This is Season 7, Episode 15, on Game Mastering, Part 1. But first, I wanted to share a few call-ins from listeners. So let's dive in. Hey there, Jay. It's John here from the Red Dice Diaries. I'm just listening to your latest episode, uh, titled Not Letting Work Kill My Hobby. And I've only just started listening to the episode, so you might get another message when I finish listening to it. But I just sort of caught in to say I loved the theme tune that you had at the start of that episode. I'm not generally a one for, like, big sort of musical bits and pieces during uh, podcasts and stuff like that, or jingles, which I think, yeah, is probably the right word. But... I've got to say, for some reason, I just really loved that theme tune. I thought it was really cool. So I thought, you know, since I grumble when I don't like stuff, it's only right that I should also say when I do like stuff. So I'm going to get back to listening to the rest of the episode, dude. Take care, and I'll catch you soon. Well, thank you, John, for saying that. Did you mean 
this little jingle. Jay's gonna bring me back. Give me a plus one to attack. Oh, 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 I won't come back to the dice. Whoa, oh, 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 I think I need some good advice. I need a role-play rescue, oh yeah. I need a role-play rescue, oh yeah, oh yeah. Hi Shay, it's uh, Lee Williams here of the oft-delayed, barely-started Boulder podcast. Now, something you said in episode 711 resonated with me. It's starting something. This is why I've never got an episode of my podcast done yet. Afraid to start. Had the same thing with uh, online gaming, particularly before the pandemic. But yes, it's starting. I'm, and I'm glad you mentioned it because it's made me realise what the problem is. Now, we confront it. So, thanks for bringing it to my attention in a roundabout way. And uh, keep on gaming, dude. The world needs you. First time caller, Lee Williams. Thanks so much for calling, mate. It's great to hear from you. And I'm glad that you found something of use. As I've always said, I think that the whole purpose of doing this is just to get ideas out there into the community. And I'm really glad that something resonated. So thanks for calling in. I'm not sure the world really needs me, but I certainly know that I appreciate you saying so. Hey there, Jay. It's John again from the Red Dice Diaries here. Just continuing to listen to your not letting my work kill my hobby episode and i think you offer some great advice in that and i sympathize dude although i'm nowhere near under the strain that sort of teachers and people like yourself sort of working in like the public sector are facing for myself um because we've got various issues due to the pandemic although i'm working from home i'm probably working sort of like two to three hours extra a day now and granted i'm pretty much just sat in front of a computer but when i finished at the end of the day i then don't want to sit in front of the computer for even more hours to plan out a game run a game or sometimes even playing a game because as you rightly say in your episode i'm just very very tired now, I have to be careful about the amount of time I spend on a computer anyway because of my uh, epilepsy and tiredness can aggravate that. But, yeah, like I say, because of um, system issues with the whole working from home and stuff that's going on in my work, we're putting in a load of extra hours. We're, we're all trying to cover extra stuff, and it is very tiring. When you add into the fact that myself and my wife are recording sort of two podcast episodes a week, I'm running two games a week, I'm playing in a third game. It doesn't really leave a lot of time for anything else. And I know there's not exactly a lot people can do at the minute because of the pandemic, but it does just lead to I have odd days where I just get really worn down. And because I'm trying to sort of ramp up actually producing some RPG stuff at the minute, I've got to admit, I'm struggling to fit it all in. But I'm working on it. Thanks for the advice, dude. Really enjoy the episode. Take care. John, thank you so much for calling in. And uh, yeah, absolutely hear you and understand what you're on about. And I think it's just great for all of us, isn't it, to be honest about the fact that it's never easy in our culture these days, but it's certainly excruciatingly difficult during the pandemic. And um, 
Oh, yeah, I just think that we have to be honest with ourselves. Um, I'm really glad that you found some useful advice in the episode. And, you know, I think that in the end, we just carry on doing what we can to enjoy ourselves when we have the energy. Um, I think it's just that important not to be beating ourselves up when we don't. But then again, I do it all the time. <laughs> so anyway, I don't know what I'm saying. I'm just saying, I hear you, man. Keep it going, dude, because you're awesome. And... I love everything that you do, and I'm just glad that you do it. Thanks, man. Game on. H.A. Jason here. Really enjoyed your interview with Peter Laws. I first encountered Peter, well, virtually. I've never met or talked to him, but I first came across Peter with a podcast he did years ago called The Flicks That Church Forgot. Unfortunately, that podcast is no longer done, as far as I know, but you know, I really enjoyed that. Um, it maybe stopped five years ago, something like that, but, um, where he would review horror movies and, you know, kind of from the Christian perspective and give his, his view and talk about it. And that, it was a good podcast. It really was. But anyway, I've always enjoyed him, you know, there 14 times, different places. So I, I was, you know, surprised to see him on your podcast and very delighted, really enjoyed it. Thank you for doing that. It, that really made my day. So have a good one. Hey Jay, Spencer here. I just wanted to say thanks for a really great interview with Peter Laws there. What a fascinating guy. I mean, as someone who's raised in a secular household, never really buying into the whole religion thing, considering myself to be of, uh, you know, rational, scientific mind, I'm still perfectly capable of freaking myself out in the dark or being chilled to the bone by a good ghost story despite claiming not to believe in such nonsense and I guess that's just the other side of the coin to you know where Peter is a man of the cloth who also loves everything horror um yeah just really really interesting stuff and I need to go and check out some of his work so thank you very much for that Che take care man bye Here goes. I know that some listeners hate it when I talk about game mastering books, but, well, this is important, at least to me. Brian Jameson's Game Mastering, self-published in 2011, has had a major impact on me over the years. Initially, the book intrigued me and I tried to take the advice to heart. Doing so, I quickly ran into some genuine resistance from fellow gamers. As I entered more deeply into the OSR, by which I mean the old-school renaissance groups on G+, and across the internet, I met hostility and also found myself becoming hostile to Jameson's assertions about how, quote, dungeon crawls are the lowest form of role-playing, end quote, and his aggressively delivered rejection of returning to the standards of the 1970s, as he puts it. That book languished for years on the stacks, but Well, recently, following discussions with Daniel Jones, which never included discussions of Jameson's book, by the way, but while chatting about Otherworld Immersion and my desire to create a deeper role-playing experience, memories of the old book resurfaced. This past week or so, I began to reread it and revisit it. It seems I am still niggled by the style and tone, 
but I'm also trying to mine the book for useful methodology. It's really the first and only book on methodology that I have found useful thus far. Unless Daniel writes his own, I feel increasingly as if I will need to write one myself. And to do that, I needed to reread Jameson. What I found was pretty illuminating and thought-provoking. Aside from the fact that Jameson appears to favour one specific approach to role-playing games, his own obviously narrative-focused and deeply character-driven approach, and to reject all others, there are many pieces of methodology that I'd like to discuss. To be honest, the 319-page tome is huge and packed with ideas and instructions for what Jameson asserts are tools to lead to better play. I can't cover it all in one episode. I might come back again in future episodes, but I am loath to make the major promise of doing it all at once. Today, I just wanted to air the most fundamental claim in the book, a set of ideas that underpins the entire methodology, and to perhaps get your feedback on the first point in that approach. Before we dive in fully, let me say that Brian Jameson's book is something I consider to be useful. It's also freely available as an ebook from gamemastering.info and also sold via Amazon from a link on that webpage. It's currently £20 in the UK and I'll put links in the show notes. Let's begin with a quotation. Quote, briefly, here's a comparison of two ways to start. We'll cover each step in greater detail later in the book. Traditional way. GM chooses game system. GM buys slash writes adventure. Characters are rolled up. Start playing. Better way. GM chooses players. Everyone agrees on setting. GM chooses game system. Characters are co-created. Adventure skeleton is written. Start playing. End quote. It's this approach to setting up a game that I want to explore today, or at least to begin to explore, because I kind of get the feeling that this will take more than one episode. To be fair, before I even got to this in the book, I was reeling from some of the definitions and assertions made in the introduction. The main one is the idea that it's a misconception to view the role of the game master as that of a neutral arbiter. For me, that essentially challenges the core of my old school sensibilities, I'm not sure I agree. For me, one of the roles of the GM is to adjudicate, and I feel that you need to do that fairly. Sure, you're never truly neutral. Such concepts do not apply to human psychology as far as I'm concerned. But it is possible to sit in fair-minded judgment on the situation and make a genuine call. While I personally enjoy seeing players succeed, I have found play more rewarding when I don't give in to the temptation to favour them. But anyway... I digress. Jameson's formula intrigues me. Game Master chooses players. Everyone agrees on setting. Game Master chooses the game system. Characters are co-created. Adventure skeleton is written. Start playing. And it's the first one that intrigues me most right now. The idea that the Game Master chooses the players. Another quotation. 
quote, the game master is the glue that holds the game together, but the players are going to have the largest impact on the fun of the game. A GM should choose his players carefully. We humans like to categorize things. Categorizing people doesn't work too well, so take this next bit with a healthy dose of reality. There must be a thousand ways to categorize people and exceptions abound. Having said that, in my experience, players do tend to fall into distinct camps of ideology, style and rules. In a perfect world, all the players will be in the same camps. In a nightmare world, none of the players are in the same camps and the game goes nowhere. End quote. The camps Jameson proposes are simple. Ideological camps, chaos versus balance, style camps, acting and action, rule camps, storytellers and realists. Do you want to play a rebel or a soldier? Do you want scenes of interaction or scenes of action and fighting? Do you prefer loose, minimal guidelines subject to the storyline or harder, more defined rules that help to understand and manipulate the game world? Jameson makes it clear that the more mature approach, in his view, is not to mix rebels and soldiers, to stick with acting and to be a storyteller. He seems to look down his nose at the action camp and is ambivalent to the realist. You can see how we got off to a flying start with this stuff, right? I am his nightmare player, that's for sure. But hey, the core idea is that the game master chooses the players. Jameson specifically goes on to insist that if they can't commit to the regular game and he views weekly or at least bi-weekly as essential, they should be rejected as players. You should choose players who not only commit but also fit the camps outlined above which suit your goal in running the game. Want to run a Robin Hood-inspired medieval game? Don't choose players who favour balance. They are better suited to that police procedural campaign you want to play next month. Want to run a game with lots of characterization and to roleplay lots of interesting interactions? Don't invite the action players, especially, Jameson asserts, Never play with wargamers. Quote, A subset of the realist category is the wargamer. I've considered this carefully and am convinced that wargamers aren't really interested in participating in a role-playing game. Why? Wargamers are obsessed with winning, which means others have to lose. End quote. Frankly, what an arse. Speaking as a wargamer, I love to role-play. Maybe your experience of wargaming is filled with competitive gits who will do anything to win, but that's not all wargamers. I mean, let's be honest, Dave Arneson and Gary Gygax were wargamers. But anyway. Want to run a game which favours a storyline over realism? Well, then choose a looser, lighter, more flexible game system. Clearly, according to Jameson, because I prefer a more realistic and grounded set of rules... I should not choose players who play more narrative games. In short, Jameson asserts, choose your players. And this has always rubbed me up the wrong way, but honestly, I do think he might be onto something. As much as I want to disagree, I recognise an underlying truth. 
You can't hope to please players and run the kind of deeply rewarding game I want to offer if you accept a random bunch of players. Not really, can you? I mean, I don't know, maybe you can, but I at least think you have to talk through your goals with your players. When I first read Game Mastering, I was playing bi-weekly with my friends. The only consistent player was my buddy Ian. Other players would come for a while, play with us and then leave. For the longest time, I thought this was because I am a crap GM. Looking back, I wonder if it actually is because Ian and myself share three things in common. We are both rebels at heart. We are both action camp. And we both prefer realism in the rules. We can work with players who want to be soldiers, changing the emphasis to meet a theme, but all my best games have involved rebels. Investigators of conspiracy, rebels against the empire, seekers of lost knowledge. These are my most common themes. My games feature action, adventure and combat. Apparently, according to Jameson, this is because I am still immature. Check this out. Quote, it has been my experience that action players tend to be relatively new to role-playing and that the more mature players adopt the acting style. But both styles of play are lots of fun. End quote. I know he qualifies his statement, but I'm glad I'm not grown up just yet. I love GURPS the most as a system. I enjoy D100 systems like RuneQuest or, even better, Mithras. I prefer D&D 3rd edition to any other edition, and that's because I want rules grounded in realism, or at least grounded in consistency. The thing I dislike most is the arbitrary GM fiat that kind of changes every single bloody session. And so Ian and I eventually ended up alone. Deb stopped playing because she doesn't care about rules or about combat scenes at all. She's acting camp, although she doesn't act per se, proving to me that Jameson is wrong about the label. But anyway, others stopped because on top of life being too busy, they weren't into action as much as acting as well. Plus, they preferred less grounded rules and more story-fluid approaches. Sitting here today, I realise that I am also pretty extremely rebellious, action-orientated, and prefer my rules with hard lines. And I guess I am at least able to say that, apart from asserting I am immature, Jameson has given me clarity about why so few players want to play at my table. But to choose our players? This rankles. I mentioned Ian, my long-time gaming buddy. He will tell you of the group who told him they were ending the campaign, disbanding the group, and then secretly moved the game elsewhere to exclude him. This happened just prior to my meeting him, I think. They didn't have the courage to talk to him and ask him to leave. And that rankles. We are who we are. Sounds trite, but acceptance is vital to me. I don't like the idea of your police procedural with no combat and using the merest sketch of a rule system, but it doesn't make me either a bad person or a bad player or a bad game master. It makes us different, and I want to value that difference. But my problem is that choosing your players smacks of rejection, pushing people out, saying, you don't fit in here. But maybe Jameson is right. Maybe we do need to be clear and tell people this game isn't going to be fun for you. Of course, Jameson doesn't tell us to kick out players. He says we should choose them, the positive framing. But 
as the kid who was always either picked last or, if there was an odd number, left out altogether, this still feels like rejection to me. Can I bring myself to do it? I really don't think I can. Even if I do see the wisdom, it just feels wrong to me. What do you think? Am I being oversensitive? Silly even? Perhaps the solution is not to choose, but to do what most folk prefer. Advertise the game, make clear the sort of game it is, and hope the right people show up. That's the traditional way that Jameson rejects, just warmed up and made to appear more aware of so-called differences in playstyle. No, Jameson is clear. You contact and invite the players you think might fit your campaign idea. You ask them the questions. You reject folk who don't fit. As wise as that might seem, I just can't quite see myself doing it. I have the view that Jameson lacks nuance. In short, I believe that while his dichotomous approach might have value, each pairing sits on a spectrum. Acting and action are polarities in Jameson's mind, but I know that I move between them depending on the game that I'm playing, the situation, my mood even. Some worlds call for action while others call for interaction. I see this not as a matter of either or, but rather as a, a kind of an and. Chaos or balance? To me, these are the wrong words. Chaos and order suggest balance between them, at least in my mind. And this is why the original alignments of chaos and law still have some kind of resonance for me. But again, it's a spectrum. And so is the concept of the game mechanism of rules versus guidelines, of rulings or rules. To me, I can play any game with an eye towards rules as written or to play with flexibility towards the story. This is another spectrum. And as for choosing players, I think it begins with knowing all the people in your extended playing group and then inviting folk to take part in the things they are interested in playing. With some openness about the nature of the game you want to run, I believe that people can adjust their position on the spectra. I don't believe humans are fixed. I believe we are adaptable. Only the most entrenched refuse the change, to fit themselves in, to insist on their way or the highway. And these folks are, it seems to me, unaccepting of others and perhaps too insecure to reap the benefits of role-playing games. Without wanting to judge, I would suggest that involving the entrenched in a game outside of their fixed view would be unwise and even harmful to them. You see, I don't think it's about maturity lying at the acting end of the spectrum or on any point of the line, really. I believe that maturity comes from flexibility and a willingness to collaborate at the table. That's why I think choosing your players is an act of collaboration too. Put your idea out there. Allow people to refuse. It's not a rejection of you. Perhaps they're just not ready or willing to enter into the world you are trying to create. That's okay, isn't it? I think Daniel Jones says it best when he says, you have to sit and have a conversation about what your goals are. I think clarity of vision lets people choose for themselves. Are they going to enter into this vision or do they stand outside? 
that's not necessarily my choice to make as Game Master. I believe that each player can choose for themselves. Game on. Roleplay Rescue is all about helping folk find a way back to the gaming table. As such, I need to hear from you about the barriers you face, the questions you have, or the reactions you feel to the things I talk about. Because we're an Anchor podcast, you can call in using the link in the show notes and via anchor.fm slash rpgrescue. That said, in the modern world, we generally own mobile devices with microphones, and you can easily open up a voice recorder app, share ideas, and then email the mp3 or whatever file format to me via hello at rpgrescue.com. Links are in the show notes, but I would love to hear from you. I want to include your voice in Roleplay Rescue. I want to hear about your challenges, your questions, and your thoughts, so that together we can make this journey towards better gaming. Go on, you know you have something to say. Thanks in advance for your contribution. Hey there, Jay. It's John here from the Red Dice Diaries. I've just been listening to your Quiet Voices bonus episode, and I know that one of my messages was featured in that. But listening to Tim from Guthridge Manor's message, I just thought I wanted to leave another quick one. And um, just, I suppose this sort of builds on the the message I left you that you graciously played in that episode. And one of the things that I find... uh, slightly sort of worrying and a little bit sad in a way when we're talking about this cancel culture and stuff like that is what appears whether you think that's true or not what appears to me is that there's a lack of a very important factor and that is or i suppose two factors and that is understanding and forgiveness and what do i mean by that well in the particular case i'm going to talk about I was um, publishing some of my RPG stuff onto my blog and putting it on drive through And I just wanted to put up a little post saying that, oh, yeah, I've, um, I've put some stuff up as pay what you want on drive through RPG. You know, you can have it for free with my blessing. But, you know, if you want to throw me a few coins, that's great. However, when I was first going to post that message, I used a different word for coin, which I won't go into here, which for me, I'd always understood to mean like an ancient eastern coin and it's it's an expression i heard commonly used now as i was going to post that my my lovely wife hannah pointed out to me that that word has actually been used as a slur or maybe offensive to some people something that i was completely unaware of so in this case i just changed it to coins and you might think oh well there we go that's dealt with no problems and in this case, you're absolutely right. However, if my wife hadn't told me about that and I hadn't changed it, I wonder, would people have just pointed out this error or lapse of knowledge to me and understood that I didn't mean any offence, that it was just a gap in my knowledge, and then I'd have quite happily changed it? Or would they have just immediately assumed that I was trying to make some sort of horrendous point or slur against a particular ethnic group or whatever? And would they have just dog piled onto me with outrage and i've got to admit son though it makes me feel at the moment i think the second response is more likely because i think there is this lack of willingness to 
understand and to forgive people when they've made an honest mistake. I don't have any solutions about that, but it does just make me a bit sad and I wanted to share that. Thank you very much for the thought-provoking episode, dude. Take care and I'll catch you soon. Another one bites the dust, as they say. That's a wrap for another week. We are arriving at the school holidays, so I might be able to pick up the show's pace a little again going forward. But honestly, no promises. Covid land is dangerous and filled with surprises. Please, stay safe. Thanks to Brian Jameson for writing his controversial book. I do actually think it's a good thing and a really recommended read. Thanks to the Roleplay Rescue patrons who support the show through patreon.com slash rpgrescue. I think we are 38 strong as I record this. Thank you, all of you, for your generosity and your encouragement. And thanks also to you, the listener, for taking some time out of your day to listen to Roleplay Rescue. I hope it was worth something to someone out there. My name is Che Webster. This is Roleplay Rescue. I'll see you again next time. Game on.